Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and this week, what are we going to talk about? There's only one topic, the United States elections and what they mean for European sovereignty. We've spoken a lot over the years. Almost 10 years ago, we started talking about the idea of a post-American Europe. But to prove that consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds or whatever the expression is, we're going to do nothing but talk about America for the next few weeks. So this is the first of a series of podcasts thinking about what Europeans can do with the new administration. This week, we have an all-star cast which is going to help us make sense of what's just happened, where we are in this uncertain world. And I'm very happy to welcome back to the podcast the office heads from several capitals, uh, Jana Pulierin from Berlin, Tara Varma from Paris, Piotr Buras from Warsaw, and Jose Ignacio Terreblanca from Madrid. But before we go to all of them, We're going to check in with Jeremy Shapiro, ECFR's research director and in-house US expert. Thank you all very much for joining. So there's a lot that we don't know about the US elections, but what we do know for sure is that the scenario that many Western Europeans, at least, were hoping for didn't happen. A landslide victory for Joe Biden, a very clear result and a prospect of him capturing the Senate and the House of Representatives by huge margins. Instead, what we're seeing is a deeply polarised country with a sitting president who claims victory long before all the votes are counted, and a prospect of certainly quite a lot of legal challenges in the short term, and quite a lot of polarisation in the longer term. And maybe even more surprising for Europeans is the fact that the Slovenian Prime Minister broke ranks and congratulated the sitting president on his re-election before literally almost any of the votes were counted. Anyway, what we're going to look at what all this means for Europe through these different national prisms over the next half hour. But before we start doing that, I'm going to go to Jeremy. Jeremy, why don't you give us a short introduction to what you think the current situation means for Europe and what we know about American politics, uh, whoever is, is the incumbent in the White House, what the, the last few hours have shown about that. Yeah, I mean, everything look, feels quite fluid, so it feels a little bit difficult to do this, but you know, this is why we get the paid the big money. It, it is very clear, I think, that the election result has been very close. Most of the last several elections have been close, this one particularly so, and it's very clear that whoever takes over will lead a very divided country, lead a divided government, really, because uh, certainly uh, the Congress will be divided. And that, you know, has sort of paradoxical effects, I think, on Europe. It's a little bit hard to know. Um, Biden was really determined to come into office being a domestic president. Most new presidents are. And I think that's going to be very difficult. I think that, you know, the first mistake he's likely to make as president is to try to govern because governing the United States is going to be really hard and it's only going to create him enemies. And if you look at things like things that are particularly dear to Europe, like climate and dealing with the coronavirus, he's going to have to make some very difficult decisions, which are going to make him quickly unpopular. So I think that there is uh, that, that you can see sort of two paradoxical effects emerge for foreign policy. On the one hand, the American president, be it Trump or Biden, will have very little legitimacy with which to construct a coherent, bipartisan foreign policy that can last, that can give a sense to allies that he can make commitments that will last beyond the next election, 
and that will demonstrate that the United States is a serious partner whose political system functions enough to make such promises. On the other hand, because either American president is very unlikely to have to be able to make a lot of forward progress on domestic affairs, he's like they, the, that president is likely to be looking to foreign affairs for activity to show that he is in charge, to show that he can bring results to the American public. The capacity in the American presidency to act independently of the Congress, the courts, the public opinion on foreign policy has been growing dramatically and is nearly infinite. So I think you will see in either presidency a much greater activity in foreign affairs. That will mean, of course, very different things depending on who is president. Okay. So what I'd like to do now is maybe try and link up what Jeremy's just said to the debates that we've been having in Europe and, in fact, on this podcast and in ECFR about European sovereignty. There is a sort of split debate about what the presidential elections means for for sovereignty and strategic autonomy. It was quite clear with Trump's inauguration in 2017 and his claims about NATO and the transatlantic relationship that many Europeans began to realise that they would need to take a bit more responsibility for their own security. With the outbreak of of COVID-19, many realised that it's not just a narrow kind of idea of security, but there are bigger issues at play and that as the world becomes much more polarised and the economy and health and digital sectors and technology and other things become weaponised, the idea of security has to to grow to reflect the the changes in the world and the way that globalisation is being reworked. But at the same time, so some people think that Trump in in many ways is the sort of father of European sovereignty and that if Trump goes, Europe will go back to sleep again and people will will be so relieved that Biden's there that all of these debates will go into into remission. But another thesis is that actually... Trump is somebody who divides and rules Europeans. He creates uh, all sorts of problems and is perfectly capable of stopping lots of European countries from from doing the things that would need to be done to become sovereign. And that, in fact, the best way of getting European sovereignty is to see it as a cooperative project where we work much more closely with a US that is, is trying to pivot towards Asia and Therefore, being a good transatlanticist also means being more strategically autonomous and taking more responsibility for our neighborhood. And that Biden, because he's less likely to divide Europeans, could actually be a much better father for European sovereignty. Be really interesting to hear which of these narratives feels the most real in different capitals. Maybe we can start with Paris, which in many ways is the place where this language about sovereignty and strategic autonomy was given birth to. Tara, why don't you tell us what you think the the French conclusions are on on the different scenarios with President Biden or President Trump? Sure. Hi, it's great to be back on the podcast. Just maybe a little correction. European strategic autonomy is mentioned quite a few times in uh, the global strategy paper that was released by then uh, HR uh, Federica Mogherini in June 2016. So it actually predates the Trump era. What is clear, though, is that uh, Emmanuel Macron, since he arrived in 2017, has been a champion of European sovereignty, European strategic autonomy. He uses both, actually. For the past four years, three and a half years, 
I think Macron has tried to engage Trump as much as possible. He was quite lucid on what was possible in terms of transatlantic cooperation, but he still believed, both for French and European security, that we needed still to engage uh, the American administration as much as possible. Unfortunately, I think it's clear now that that, that hasn't worked so much. And typically, the personalized relationship uh, aspect hasn't played out as, as well as Macron hoped it would. In Paris, it's very clear now that Biden would certainly help make European sovereignty advent. I think Yana's paper that she will probably talk about later has been read quite quite a bit here. And, and the, the, the first hypothesis that you mentioned, the one that Trump 2 administration would actually stir more divisions, uh, more lack of cohesion inside Europe and would ultimately be, be detrimental to, to European security is the one that is most held seriously here in in official diplomatic circles. It's it's quite clear from the French side that if a Biden administration were to happen, there would be a convergence of interest on a number of issues, but there will also be a clear sense for the Biden administration that probably European security wouldn't be their top priority. It would actually be in American interest for Europeans to take charge of their own security, at least partly. That wouldn't mean at all putting an end to the transatlantic par partnership, quite the contrary. It would mean for Europeans to actually have the capacity to act when the US is unwilling to do so. And we've seen in a number of files these past few months that sometimes European and American interests diverge and Europeans need to have tools at their disposals, capabilities at their disposals when they are faced with such a situation. Okay. Well, Jana, Tara mentioned you and, and the article that you've been writing. How do you think people look at these things in Germany? Well, I think in Germany, first of all, there is there is the perception that the term strategic autonomy as such is somewhat divisive and is unnecessary, divisive vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the Americans. We think here that not only in the US, but also in Poland and the Baltic states, this kind of term strategic autonomy often creates a reaction that is actually counterproductive. That's why uh, many Germans prefer to talk about the ability to act. Yeah, exactly. Instead of strategic autonomy. I think it's very much a phantom debate because on substance, both ideas are pretty much the same and not uh, far away from what Tara has uh, talked about. So the idea that the Europeans are able to shape the world, as you say in your podcast, and not to be shaped by others. But there is this kind of phantom debate. And you see that ongoing uh, right now with two op-eds uh, in Politico, one by our defense minister, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, and one by Franziska Brandner from the Green Party. So the AKK article is titled, Europe Still Needs America, and the Brandner thing is titled, Time for Europe to Move Past Pax Americana. And so basically, that is kind of the, the debate that we are having right now. Uh, the AKK conservative camp argues that with the Biden administration, we have every opportunity to work as closely as possible together. There is no European security without the Americans closely engaged. It should be our interest to keep the US as closely engaged in European security as possible. And that is key. And therefore, we should stop talking about strategic autonomy, but instead concentrate on what can we do together and how can we be better allies. That's the one camp. And the other camp, uh, the Brandner camp, which goes beyond the Green Party, basically says, 
well, Europe cannot uh, kind of rely blindly on the US to solve its problems. We have to get our act together. Who, who knows who will be president in four years time. So uh, we should be, become much more proactive, but also in a European or in an EU framework. She explicitly talks about an EU framework, not a European um, framework. And to me, all this is basically very sad to watch because I think that it misses the, the central points. So I think um, even if we wanted to become somewhat, I don't know, independent or autonomous from the United States uh, in security terms, like if we talk hard security, we would not be able to achieve this in the medium term. It would take at least 15 years. And so what do we do in the meantime? There are some unresolved questions. What about the U.S. nuclear umbrella and uh, kind of how to replace this in any meaningful way? So I think um, there is a problem here or a blind spot in, in one of the articles, in the, in the Bandner article, and the AKK article maybe is too positive and optimistic about our, kind of our joint transatlantic future. So I think that instead of talking about, I don't know, concepts, we should really concentrate on getting, yeah, you know, getting the Europeans going. I mean, we talk and talk and never walk the walk. And I think this is the big problem. And I think on substance, we could very well work together with Paris and not against the US, of course. Of course, everybody, I think, and Tara said that even the, the French want the US engaged in, in Europe. Uh, the question is only if the US wants to remain engaged. Well, there are questions about where our interests are not exactly the same. And in those areas, obviously, we don't want to work with the US. <laughs> but let's carry on this tour of Europe. So, Piotr, if the whole question about the US is divisive in Germany, um, it's also divisive between European countries. And the Polish government has been one of the biggest enthusiasts for, for Donald Trump in the White House. How are they thinking about the prospect of a, of a Biden administration? I think, you know, the Polish government uh, is certainly quite worried about uh, the possible implications of Biden administration for Poland and especially for Poland's European policy, because I don't think there is reason to believe that uh, Biden would uh, significantly change the American approach to the eastern flank, that he would, I don't know, would withdraw the additional troops to Trump placed in Poland in the sign of, I don't know, this bit in the trustworthiness of uh, of the Polish leadership. I think Poland is not uh, such a you know major important partner for for the US that Washington would in the first place introduce a completely new Poland policy. But what will change, I think, is is definitely an, an approach to Europe, the approach to Europe uh, along the lines Stara and Tiana described. And I think there will be, as Stara said, uh, a huge, uh, on the one hand, a huge interest of the Biden administration in the European Union or Europe being able to take care of its uh, immediate neighborhood, especially in the South, because I think, as Asiana rightly said, uh, the discussion about European nuclear shields and, and replacing the U.S. security guarantees in the East of Europe is rather futile. And I, I think this is not going to happen simply anytime soon. But what is really at stake is is the southern neighborhood. And and there, if there is a new grand bargain or a new transatlantic deal, I think the division of labor will be quite clear. So the US could still guarantee Europe's security in the East when it comes to the nuclear shield and, you know, the hard Article 5 NATO treaty guarantees. But 
when it comes to uh, in southern neighborhoods of Europe, Europe would have to to do more. And as Tara said, it will, would be in the interest of also of the Biden administration to push uh, Europeans to do more there and to be able to do more there, to have this Handlungsfähigkeit in the south. And this is, of course, something which is uh, sort of problematic for uh, for Poland. I mean, not uh, as such, but the fact is that the European security policy debate, the focus of this debate, will shift from the east to the south. And and I, I'm, I'm not sure Poland is at the moment prepared for that. And the second important implication of the new reality in Washington, if Biden wins, will be a return to an, an old American approach to Poland, where Poland w- was seen as an important partner for, for Washington as long as it played an important role within Europe and had good relations with uh, especially Berlin, which is at the moment not the case. So I think the Biden administration will not be interested, uh, I'm sure the Biden administration will not be interested in contrast to, to the Trump administration in Poland having conflicts with Berlin and not playing constructive role in the European Union, Biden will be interested in a rather you know, unified Europe and not divided Europe. And this is, of course, uh, that will produce uh, pressure on Warsaw to work closer with Berlin and to not to escalate conflicts also on, on rule of law and, and all this, which are very important. And this is the last point. I think, which is important for, for Poland, uh, very important for the Biden team, his idea of a summit of democracies and, and his uh, focus on uh, on fighting authoritarian tendencies across Europe. So I think a more and more autocratic Poland does not really fit with his concept. So I think there will be uh, there will be some very interesting developments when it comes to the Polish-American relations, but even more so pressure on Poland to, to be more interested in the European uh, sovereignty, if we want to use this term, or in, in Europe's, you know, Handlungsfähigkeit in the areas which ha- so far have not been so obvious for Poland's foreign and security policy. So Nacho, you've been listening to, to the way that it's seen in Northern and Eastern Europe. How do things look from Madrid? And also, given that you're thinking about this a lot and in, in touch with him a lot, how, how does it also look from the perspective of, of the AS in Brussels and, and, and what the institutions think that they're going to be able to do in these circumstances? Well, two comments. One, that when I see European foreign policy leaders, ministers being so prudent when asked about, uh, you know, the outcome of the election, saying, you know, they don't want to to say who do they prefer, they will have to work with anyone. I still see there that, that, you know, it seems that we have not got Trump or what has going, been going on in the United States quite right. I mean, Trump has always been very outspoken on what he wants to see in Europe, you know, Brexit, the end of the EU, all these kind of things. But I'm not saying that we should reciprocate, you know, some of the wrong stuff that, that Trump does and, and, and some of the way he conducts diplomacy. But I think precisely this interim situation shows or is a missed opportunity for every time a minister has a microphone to, to, to say what is the European agenda. The European agenda is the European agenda, no matter whether we have Trump or whether we have Biden. We have our own visions, our own interests, our own goals, we have our own strategies. And of course, you know, it would be more difficult to achieve 
some of these things or most of these things with Trump, and it would be easier maybe to achieve them with Biden. But but I see, you know, still Europeans waiting for what Washington has to say or what Washington produces, what is the outcome of the election. So and then they will start thinking what to do. And I think this this shows how wrong we've got things and, and how bad we are in in a time which I, I think we should have overcome long time ago. And related to this, I see, especially for example in Spain, that very slowly strategic autonomy, sovereignty is is moving into not only the conversation but texts and doctrines and 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 maybe it will be in the in the in the national security strategy and then the foreign policy strategy of the foreign ministry but they is not something which makes people happy they they do it because they think they have to do it but where where they feel good writing is about multilateralism you know this is what we want and and all those things so as again connecting this to my first comment as if again we were all waiting for just Trump to disappear, you know, when you when like like children, you know, when you woke up, the monster was not there <laughs> anymore, and therefore you could go back to to normal. So I think you know this is this interim situation, and precisely what is in, in the United States should offer us the opportunity to to frankly assess what are our interests, what is our agenda, not what is the agenda of the United States and then we accommodate. This is totally the wrong way of thinking about things. And I don't see I don't see that we're making a lot of progress there. Exactly. Well I mean that is basically the idea of sovereignty, isn't it? Being able to decide what's right and what's wrong and what's important for yourself rather than thinking about how it relates to other people's interests. And I can announce that now already that our next podcast, once we are aware of who's in the White House and have digested the initial shock of the elections will be on exactly this topic, trying to work out from a European perspective what our interests are. But I think in the interests of completeness, we should now go back to Jeremy and ask him what he makes of the cacophonous messages that we got from our different national offices, or whether they seem cacophonous. How do they sound to somebody who is thinking about the the US perspective, how do you think the US will react to the kind of Europe that our colleagues have described? They didn't sound precisely cacophonous in that I think all of our uh, colleagues basically said, you know, we need to get our act together. But I think they did overall convey the impression, particularly Nacho's last intervention, that they're not going to get their act together. And And I think from the standpoint of a US official looking at this stuff, I don't think you find, really even in the Trump administration, reflexive hostility to ideas like European sovereignty or European autonomy. Uh, you know, the, roughly speaking, they'll deal with any Europe that, that Europeans give them. But I think you will also encounter from either side, either a Biden or a Trump administration, a fair amount of dismissiveness. And I think that, that they, they would be justified in thinking that from listening to this conversation, that, you know, that they're really ever going to be presented with tough United choices that Europeans give them and that the option of sort of working the edges of European politics, you know, going to Poland to try to get a better trade deal, working the Germans against the French, all that stuff, you know, uh, remains open. In a Biden administration, they will do so in a way that doesn't threaten the EU. In a Trump administration, they may well even threaten the EU. But fundamentally, I think this conversation will make Americans who have to deal with European, American officials who have to deal with Europeans essentially um, saying, well, I don't really have to pay a lot of attention to this debate. That's because we haven't done our next podcast yet. So once We are, I think, one podcast away from a solution to this problem. Exactly. 
So that's probably the best place to end discussion with the tantalizing prospect of a sovereign and more strategically autonomous, if transatlanticist and cooperative Europe on the threshold of being delivered. We have one thing left to do in this podcast, which is our bookshelf segment. It's not perhaps surprising. I'm reading a book about the American history, Jill Weppley, um, We Are the People, a New History of the United States. Fantastic. The semantic, is it the semantic corporation or something that, that lies at the heart of it? And what about you, um, Tara? Well, unsurprisingly, I'm reading frantically about uh, US election results. And on a more joyful note, I'd say I'm reading uh, Emmanuel Carrère's latest book called Yoga, which is the tale of his experience with meditation. Okay. You don't have any great French television recommendations, people getting ready for their next lockdown. Not these days. I've been trying to watch Emily in Paris, I have to say. And I've been laughing a lot, which is quite nice these days. Cool. I haven't been reading much because I've mostly been concentrating on election coverage, but I have been watching Emily in Paris, which is a terrible television program, but really the best ever example I've seen of portraying American stereotypes of France and French stereotypes of America, sort of pitch perfect for that. And uh, it really shows a France that basically hates everything America stands for, yet goes to McDonald's more than any other restaurant. And it shows an America which really worships French culture, but knows absolutely nothing about it. Okay. Nacho, what's on your bookshelf? I think it's not yet in Spanish, but it's in English, but it's produced by HBO. It's called Patria, Fatherland. And it's, it's, it's an amazing series on a book which was very popular on two families in the Basque country. Very good friends. The son of one enters into ETA and ends up killing the father of the other family. And it's such a tragic story. And very few stories have been done on families split in, in the Basque country and so on. But on books, I'm reading The Tribalization of Europe by Marlene Wind, a Danish professor of political science, um, which has a very good chapter on Spain connecting the Catalan succession referendum with Brexit and, and Poland and so on. So it's quite interesting. Great. What about you, Jana? Well, I would love to recommend some soul food for a nostalgic transatlanticist. Um, yesterday, I found myself reading a transcript of John McCain's concession speech from 2008, a long time ago. And uh, so the moment kind of I read that he said, President Obama, I wish good speed to the man who was my former opponent and will be my president. I think that was kind of what I really needed yesterday. And Arizona came back to to uh, to celebrate that sentiment potentially in the electoral college. Well, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure that you let other people know about it by writing on our social media feed or yours, but above all, by giving us a five star rating and review, positive review, I hope, on whatever platform you've used to download this podcast. We will put links up to some of the amazing writings of ECFR colleagues, including many of the people on this podcast on our website at www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. We're going to be doing lots more on the implications of the US elections, not just a several more podcasts. We're also going to be doing an opinion poll 
and we will be writing a lot about these specific things that we can do together in different areas, as well as returning to this topic of strategic sovereignty or autonomy through the different reports that we're doing over the next few weeks. But for now, from Jana Pulierin, Tara Varma, Piotr Buras, Jose Ignacio Torreblanca, Jeremy Shapiro, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of this week's podcast is Lucy Halpenthal and our editor is Marlene Riedel.